Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Oh my goodness, I have, Jesus said to his disciples at the Lord's Supper, I have longed for this day. I have looked forward to this day and uh, this, this, this time. And uh, that's how I feel about this morning as we begin this series uh, on union with Christ. I, I've, I've said many times throughout my preaching career that this is the most important sermon or series that we've ever done. Um, I feel that way about this series, and, and I'm going to explain why in a moment. But I want to open the, um, uh, my sermon this morning with praying Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And by the way, you're, each week I'm going to give you an assignment uh, because it's really important that you not just hear me or Dennis talk uh, on, you know, on Sundays and then forget about what we said you know, after lunch. I really want you to meditate on this because it's, I'm going to say this again in the sermon somewhere, but Paul says in Romans 12 2, we are transformed, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. So as our minds grasp spiritual truths and they sink, they they make that journey, that 15 inch journey from our heads to our hearts, the transformation takes place. And so we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. That is what this series is about. It's about the renewing of our minds so that we're able to grasp what it means that we are in union with Christ, okay? Um, so your assignment this week is to read Ephesians 1 every day. Yeah, if you only make it three times, that's still great. But read Ephesians 1 over and over and over again because it's going to begin to kind of crack the the shell of what we're talking about here, about being in union with Christ. So uh, Paul starts a prayer. It, Paul is, he's known for two things besides just being an awesome, you know, apostle. He's known for run-on sentences that go on for like three or four paragraphs, but it's all one sentence. And he's also known for chasing rabbits, but it's all anointed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. So Paul starts a prayer in Ephesians 1 and finishes it in Ephesians 3. And I took those two prayer things and stuck them together. And I'm going to pray this prayer over us this morning. So this is the Ephesians prayer from chapter 1 and chapter 3. Let's pray. Glorious Father, give us your spiritual wisdom and revelation so that we might grow to know you and the Lord Jesus more fully. We pray that our hearts would be flooded with light, oh God, so that we can understand, that we can grasp the confident hope Christ has given to us, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. You and I are God's rich and glorious, are Christ's rich and glorious inheritance. Father, creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from your glorious unlimited resources, You would empower us with inner strength through your spirit. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you will make our hearts more and more your home and your throne as we trust in you. I pray that our roots would grow down deep into your love and the foundation of your love would keep us strong 
And may you give us the power to understand, as all God's people should, how, high, how wide and long and high and deep your love is. And we may, may we experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. And may we be filled completely. May we be filled completely with all the fullness of God. Amen. Amen. May we be completely filled with all the fullness of God. May God answer that prayer for each one of us and all of us. So this, this series is called Union with Christ. It's going to run eight weeks, and it's going to be phenomenal. Please, if you miss church, please go online and listen to the sermons because they're so important. And I'm going to explain why as we go through this morning. This morning... The title of my message, it's, it's, it, this is the introduction to the series. So I'm probably going to leave you a little bit hungry for, okay, Neil, what does union with Christ really mean, and, and how does that really you know, apply to my life in a practical way? You're not going to hear all of that this morning. This is dipping the toe in the water as we kind of launch into this series, but I'm calling the sermon Rediscovering the Treasure. Rediscovering the treasure, because a treasure has been lost. You guys remember, in, in, if, you, if you're familiar with the parables of Jesus, especially uh, the kingdom parables of Matthew, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, um, there is the kingdom of God is like a man who was walking through a field, and he stumbles over this, this treasure box. And he opens it up and he sees all these jewels and all this gold and all this silver and he closes the box and he covers it up and he goes and he sells everything he has to purchase that field so the treasure will be his. Now, depending on how you interpret that scripture, either Jesus is the treasure or we're the treasure of Jesus. And remember, we just read that we're Christ's glorious inheritance. Some, for some reason, he really thinks a lot of us. And we're his inheritance. That's awesome. I love that. But I think that for our purposes this morning, I want to talk about the fact that 2,000 years ago, a treasure was given to us. And everyone who finds that treasure finds something amazing. But what, what if the dude that, that stumbled over that box just took out enough gold or enough jewels that he could buy fire insurance for his house? So if his house burned down, he could build another house. Or he just took out enough treasure that he could buy a life insurance policy so that if he died, his family would be taken care of. Now, wouldn't that be a little bit foolish? Has all this treasure, but he only takes out enough to do this or that, and just covers the rest of it up and, and never really plumb, you know, plumbs the depths of what's in that box. That would be a shame, wouldn't it? Unfortunately, that's what's happened to Christianity over the last 300 years. We've lost, we've lost the treasure of the gospel. You know, I believe that the, that the, the symbol of the gospel and, and the, um, like, like the, how would you say it? I believe the cross symbolizes the gospel. The cross is where this whole thing began. The cross, we go back to the cross and we know that Jesus died 2,000 years ago on the cross. 
He died for us and he died as us. And we died with him. And that's wonderful. We, you know, Paul says, I know, I, when he came to the Corinthians, he said, I sought to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. The crucifixion, the death on the cross was where this all began. But then there's the burial and the resurrection, and then there's something beyond that. And the problem is, in that treasure box of the gospel, what we've settled for is taking just enough out so that we know, this is the, the, the version that most American Christians know about the gospel. This is the gospel to American Christianity. Jesus died for me on the cross so my sins would be forgiven so that I can go to heaven when I die. Well, that's great when I get ready to go to heaven. You know, my own dad is probably, you know, he's 88 and a half years old. He's fallen twice in three days. Uh, he's struggling, and, and I honestly expect a call any time that he's gone. And he, you know, that's really important to him right now that he knows that he is right with God, and he is. And when I get that call, I don't think that it's going to be jarring to me because I know that my dad's 88-and-a-half-year-old body is just wearing out. And, and right now, that scripture and that version of the gospel is important to my dad. But, you know, I have about... 25 years before I'm that age. What's in the gospel for me and you? What's in the gospel for you? Shane and Hannah, I watched them over here dancing this morning. I watched these beautiful children over here dancing. What does the gospel have to say to them? If all it is is that Jesus died for their sins and they're forgiven so they go to heaven when they die, that's not really a lot for them to enjoy or appreciate. They left most of the, of the treasure in, in, the, in the treasure chest in the field. And so this morning, I just want to say that, that uh, Christianity has a rich tradition, but a lot of the treasure has been lost. It's, it's been lost, and, and there's kind of three flavors of Christianity. The first is is basically what we would call normative religion. And as, as, the, um, as time passed and, and as the disciples died, the apostles died, and, and then those who followed them that were trained by them died, and you know, things went along five or 600 years after you know, this whole thing, uh, there, was a, <laughs> there was kind of a taking over of, of, of things by a, a particular group or a couple of groups and, and Christianity kind of got taken out of the hands of, of lay people and into the hands of the, the clergy and the, the spiritual hierarchy. And they really began to become corrupt. And, and the gospel got turned into more of a, a, a normative religion, which is this. This is what I would describe as normative religion. Be good and God will like you. Be bad and God will be upset with you. Be good and you might go to heaven when you die. Be bad and you probably won't go to heaven when you die. Here are the rules and you better keep them. You break the rules and you're in trouble. That's what, that's the, there's a whole wing of the church, quote unquote, and it, it's a false church that believes that way. It's just religion. Every other religion in the world, is, there's a deity and there's us and there's rules. You keep the rules, you're good. You break the rules, you're bad. That, that, that is... That is a counterfeit gospel. That's counterfeit, guys. That's not what we preach here, and we never will. 
So the dark ages happened because the gospel got lost. The Bible got lost. And the religious hierarchy took over, and they only told people what they wanted to tell them. There was a fellow by the name of Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King. He was named after Martin Luther. Both great men. But Martin Luther was a law student in Germany. And he was a party animal. I'm I'm telling you, this guy, there's nothing he wouldn't do. And one day he and his buddy are out walking and and just walking in uh, like through the woods or whatever. And a lightning storm came up and lightning struck a tree. And the lightning went right through the tree, right through his friend. And his friend dropped dead right in front of his eyes. And he's standing there looking at his friend. And he's like, if that had been me, where would I be? It was a really great question. It was a wake-up call for Martin Luther. And then he began to say, oh, my goodness, I know that if I died right now, I would go to the bad place because I'm not living. I'm, 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 I'm partying. I'm getting drunk. I'm, you know, doing all this crazy, wild stuff. And I know that I wouldn't be in a good place before God. And so he began to try to be righteous and, and he drove himself and other people crazy in his pursuit of being holy. He got, it got to the point that he renounced all worldly pleasures and became a monk in a monastery. And he wore his father confessor out, confessing the same sins over and over again. And father confessor said, Martin, why do you keep telling me these same sins? He said, because I don't feel, I still feel guilty. I don't feel like confessing them has, has cleansed me, and I still feel my sins. And then one day, he's reading the scriptures. He's reading, and he, and he comes to Romans. And all of a sudden, he reads about the gospel, a righteousness from God through faith in Christ. And he's like, oh, my goodness. This is the answer I've been looking for. Faith in Jesus Faith in the gospel, faith in God's word, faith in what Jesus has done for me on the cross has saved me from my sins. All I need to do is believe and God gives me his righteousness. And it set his heart free. And he began to tell the other monks about this and they started telling him he was crazy. And before long, he was kicked out of the church. He was kicked out of the monastery and kicked out of the church and he became, they tried to, the church tried to kill him because he was preaching salvation by faith alone. And the church was preaching salvation by works. We call that the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, because Martin Luther was protesting the falsehood of a works religion, of normative religion. And he said, no, it's faith in Christ. And he believed in in, in Romans 1 through 5. That was his mantra, faith alone. Jesus has died for us. We're forgiven because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Someone said in a book that I read recently, it's too bad that Martin Luther stopped in Romans 5 and didn't move on into Romans 6. Because Romans 5, up to then, it's only a partial discovery of the gospel. It's only a partial good news. Because if it only stops with Jesus died for me, so my sins are forgiven, so now I'm righteous before God, so I go to heaven when I die, that is not the full gospel. And what we're going to be talking about over these next eight weeks is a rediscovery of the full treasure of the gospel. Union with Christ is, the cross may be the centerpiece of the gospel, 
But union with Christ is the heart of the gospel. Because we didn't just get saved from our sins because Jesus did something one time 2,000 years ago. But at Pentecost, he came back to indwell his people. Let me read this to you. Let me just say this. The word Christian is in the New Testament three times. And, and the word means little Christ. So Christian means little Christ. So you and I are little Christs. The words in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in him 165 times. That should tell us something. Our identity as Christians is kneel in Christ Jesus, not Bishop Haney, but kneel in Christ Jesus, Lynn in Christ Jesus, Penny in Christ Jesus, Karen in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. Paul, all 165 of those times, if I'm not mistaken, were in the writings of Paul. He got the gospel. He got the full orb gospel. Romans 6 through 8 is kind of the rest of the gospel. And we're going we're gonna, to you know, get into that as we move through the series. But I want to read where this concept of in Christ kind of is birthed. And, and Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper. Only John records this dialogue, uh, or monologue, I should say. Jesus is talking about this. But I want to put this up here. This is John 14, verses 18, 18 through 20. He's about to leave his disciples. He's about to go to the cross. And he's not going to be with them much longer. This is his last night before he's crucified. He was with them over a period of 40 days after the resurrection, but then he's ascended into heaven and he's gone as far as being able to see him in person. But he says this in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. He's already told them that he's leaving, but he said, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will, not, will see me or will not see me anymore. But you will see me with spiritual eyes. Because I live, you will live also. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You are in me, and I am in you. Wow. That is amazing. And then... Uh, verse uh, uh, John 15, he begins to talk in, in kind of a parabolic, parabolic language about this when he says in verse 4, remain in me, stay in me, and I will remain in you. So I'm coming to you, I will be in you, you will be in me. And then he says, stay there, <laughs> remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. We've got to stay connected with Jesus if we're going to ever do anything of any, any value. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And, of course, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless you remain in the vine, you can't, you can't bear fruit. Super important stuff. Super important stuff. 
You see, our salvation is not about relocation from here to heaven. That's not it. It's about transformation. It's not relocation. It's, the gospel is transformation. You know, I'm glad that I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but it has nothing to do with me right now, today, except that I have a lot of peace about that. I'm looking forward to it. But right now, i got a lot of life to live. And guys, the journey that we're on is going to, I mean, we need transformation, not relocation. And so, and so the transformation that I'm talking about is everything, everything in terms of, of living this life in Christ. I, I just want to share three rapid-fire scriptures with you about this. Um, our identity, as I said, is in Christ, and, and um, he is in us, and we are in him. I want to just throw up um, Colossians one twenty seven here. Colossians one twenty seven. Okay, I just want to look at the last part of that verse where it says, well, let me just read it. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. It's an open mystery, not a closed mystery. It's, it's mysterious in that up until Christ's resurrection and ascension and sending the Holy Spirit, no one understood what was coming. But now, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. We're going to unpack that, but not today. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease you, but I'm not going to give you, I can't teach everything in one sermon. So just, you know, bear with us. Let's look at another scripture, Acts 17, 28. Again, this is Paul in the book of Acts. And he says this, he's talking to Gentiles and he says, for in him, in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. We live and move and have our being in Christ Jesus. That's a big statement, that's amazing. And then finally, the last one, and I love this right here. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature, a new creation. I'm going to, you can look at that, but I'm going to just kind of do the NHV, the Neil Haney version, and kind of unpack what it's saying here. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature, a new person. The old man or woman that they were has gone, has passed away, has died. And the new man, the new woman is resurrected with Christ and now lives in Christ Jesus. I had lunch with a friend this week. Knew him from way back, getting to know him as a new friend, old friend, new friend. In the mean, somewhere in the middle, between old and new, this person came to Christ, into a relationship, is in Christ Jesus now. The old man that I knew back years ago is dead, is gone. The new man is amazing. Like, like the old man I didn't even know how to relate to, the new man is like, I hardly know this person and they're already a dear friend. It's like, it's just different. It's like the old is gone, the new has come. It's a new creation. And I just rejoice and celebrate that. It's so drastic. It's so powerful. 
But this person in Christ Jesus is just new. It's just different. It's just amazing. It's just wonderful. So, guys, in practical terms, in practical terms, what does it mean to be in union with Christ? Well, one of the things it means is that union with Christ is not some grand uh, theological you know, idea or um, concept. It's to be lived out every day in a very, very practical way. Let me tell you a story from my own life recently that illustrates this. I, um, I was in here, I, I love to come in here when no one's in here and pray. And uh, I just, I've done this for years. I just walk around the chairs and I have to move some of them because they're too close to the wall. And I just walk around and pray. And um, I, I, I don't know, I just like to pray out loud. And the Lord speaks to me and I speak to him and uh, it, it's just a lot of fun and, and I love praying out loud. It helps me focus, it helps me concentrate. And I can pray uh, when I'm walking in ways I can't pray when I'm just sitting and journaling. So I, I don't know, anyway. But there's this, it was three or four weeks ago, and I'm, I'm have, I have a problem. How many of you ever have a problem that you need to pray about? Yeah. For me, I don't know, I get more than my share of problems, because that's what comes with being a pastor. You know, I got my problems and your problems and everybody else's problems. And so I'm in here, and I'm praying my heart out. And um, I, I'm coming around, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm just telling the Lord, Lord, Jesus, you know, I need your help with this, and here, here's what's going on, and here's what I need you to do. And, I, and I, get, I, get, I come around by the sound booth here, and I get about right in the mid, you know, right there in front of those double doors, and the Lord says, stop. And so I just stopped. And he said, Neil, I'm right here. <laughs> I am in you. I'm right here. He said, you're talking to me like I'm in the next universe or something. He's like, you're acting like I don't understand or even care about what you're talking about. Like this is some kind of newsflash. And you're telling me what to do and how to fix this. He's like, Neil, I care more about this situation than you do. I know more about this situation than you do. And I know how to fix it way better than you do. So would you just relax and just be with me. I, I got it. I care for you. Cast your burdens upon me for I care for you. And so I stopped and I said, okay, Lord, I just give this to you. I don't even know what it was. I can't tell you what I was praying about because God fixed it, obviously, or I'd still be worrying about it. Guys, he's right here. Practically speaking, in that morning, he just stopped me in my tracks and said, look, man, stop praying like you're, like I, I don't care and I'm somewhere somewhere other than right here with you. You know, another way that this is going to play out practically is like there's a difference in what we believe and what we experience. You know, it's really easy to believe good things on Sunday morning when Neil and Dennis are up here telling you how good God is and Wes is up here and, and, and money and the team leading us in all these wonderful things about God is my anchor, you know, and in the winds and waves, he's going to be there. And we're like, yes, Lord, yes, go, yes, Jesus. Ah. And then we get to Wednesday when we're in the boss's office and he's calling us out about something we've done wrong. Where's Jesus then? Where's all this victory is mine and, you know, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, for uh, my, my hallelujah is my victory and song and all this stuff. And we're feeling about this high and Jesus is nowhere in sight. 
We got to learn to live with the knowledge that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And that it's real in the moment that we need him the most. When the wind is blowing and the waves are high and we can still walk right out on that water with Jesus because we know that we're okay. Martin Luther, or, or not Martin Luther, but great John Calvin, one of the great theologians of the past, the church father, says, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he suffered and had done for us for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us in the here and now. Therefore, he had to become ours and dwell within us. Isn't that beautiful? As long as he's out there somewhere else and he did something 2,000 years ago for us, it is of no value to me and it's useless to me in the here and now. And so he has to become ours and come and indwell us. I love that. That's just awesome. This book, uh, Union with Christ, inspired this series, but, but I've always been chasing this and didn't really understand how to grab a hold of it. I've... I've called it the exchange life, the deeper life, you know, the, the uh, Watchman Nee calls it the, what is it, the something Christian life, the normal Christian life. This is what he's talking about. And, and so Rankin Wilburn, who wrote this book, says, over and over again, I found writers from across the century who defined salvation and the Christian life in terms of being united to Christ in union with Christ. And then he gives like six quotes. I'm only going to read about four. Again, John Calvin says this, the, the indwelling of Christ in our hearts, that mystical union is of the highest degree of importance. It's the highest degree, of, it's, the, it's, it's the heart of the gospel. Jonathan Edwards, the great revival preacher said, by virtue of the believer's union with Christ, he really does possess all things. When you read Ephesians 1, you're going to read that every spiritual gift in the heavenly places has been given to us already, here and now, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Apart from him, not so. But in Christ Jesus, we have all things. Being in Christ and united with him is the fundamental constitution of a Christian. Guys, this, these are big statements, there are no benefits of the gospel apart from union with Christ in the here and now. I always have to add that. Yeah, going to heaven when I die, that's great. For my dad right now, that's great. But for me, it's, it's got to be, you know, the, the, there are no benefits of the gospel apart from union with Christ. It's got to be the fundamental thing. So, J.I. Packer, who wrote Knowing God, says union with Christ is the definition of Christianity. What? What? Union with Christ is the definition of Christianity. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We got to be rooted in the, in the vine, man. We, and the vine and the branch are connected in such a way you don't know where one ends and the other begins. You can't go to a grapevine and say, okay, now that's the vine, but there's where the branch starts. You can't do it. It's inseparable. And we should be inseparable with Christ, and we should live that out. I got a, 
I'm going to share one a, a, a quote with you, and I'm going to tell a quick story, and we're done. Baxter Kruger, who is a phenomenal writer, Dennis and I love this guy. He wrote a book called God is for us. I highly recommend it. And the whole book is basically on Ephesians 1. And as he's talking about Ephesians 1, Baxter Kruger says this, let's focus for a moment on the chief purpose of the father, the chief purpose of the father. The apostle Paul sees a much richer goal in the father's heart than merely granting us existence. You know, God didn't create us for entertainment. He wasn't sitting out there as some bored, lonely old man with a beard looking for some entertainment, so he decided to create Dennis so he could laugh at something, you know? That's not, that's not it. <laughs> we get to laugh at him, but that's not why God created Dennis. Paul sees something much more personal. The Father is after a, a certain quality of existence. What Paul sees is that the Father's eternal purpose for us is not that we should simply exist, but that we should be made participants in his existence, baptized in his glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory, absolutely immersed in his life. The point here is not mere existence, but deeply a deeply personal relationship and intimacy and fellowship with God. The, the eternal purpose of God is to bring us into existence, and not just into existence, but into his house, and not just into his house, but to his table. And not just to his table, but to his right hand. And not just to his right hand, but into conversation with us. And not just into conversation with us, but into face-to-face fellowship with God, the Father himself. But even here, we have not come to the glory of it. For this fellowship is not simply about face-to-face conversation or side-by-side relationship. It is about the meeting and sharing of souls. It is about such a profoundly personal sharing of life, such a thorough exposure of being that we begin to be in God and God begins to be in us, a mutual indwelling. Guys, that's amazing. Paul is talking about being ushered into a fellowship with God that is so close, so intimate, so deep, so real, so alive that everything God the Father is and everything he has, all his treasures and glory, are shared with us personally. What? But that's the truth, folks. That's what Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3 are trying to tell us. Now, let me end with this story. And I didn't get permission, and I'm going to owe my wife a dollar. Actually, I probably have to take her out to, to eat. You know, Lindsay uh, is now in England, but, and she's doing great, by the way. She's, she's met her roommate. She's, she's doing great. Lindsay lived with us for six months after she moved home from being gone four years to... Um, Champaign, Illinois, working at Central Illinois Vineyard. And so um, she, her bedroom was adjacent to Deb's bedroom, and um, I, I, we don't sleep in the same room. I, I took over the guest room because we snore, and I toss and turn. We keep each other. We'd never get any sleep if we slept together. So Deb, towards the end of Lindsay's time at home, Deb began to have nightmares. And it seemed like every other night or so, she was dreaming that someone was coming in her room and coming through the window, coming through the door. And, uh, and so she, she began to kind of cry out, you know, help, you know, someone's in my room, whatever. And Lindsay, Lindsay would hear and get up and go in. And, and even after, you know, she's kind of half awake, she's like, someone's in my room. And Lindsay's like, yeah, it's me. <laughs> 
And she's like, Mom, you're fine. No one's in your room. Now, now think about this. Deb is in bed, it, you know, next to our daughter. Uh, her door is shut. The doors are locked. Uh, she is in a perfectly safe environment. But when she's dreaming, she's being attacked by someone, and she's not safe at all. And what she needs to do is wake up to the reality that she's okay. She's, she's safe. She's in bed. She's, she's in locked doors. There's no one in her room. The boogeyman's not going to get her. Guys, you and I live in a relationship where, where we have the, the living God living inside of us. And we are in him. And we are safe. What Wes sang in his song that he wrote that no matter the winds and the waves, no matter what, he's our anchor. We're safe with him. But we have to understand that we need to wake up to that reality because we're living in a false reality if that's not our reality. And this series is about waking us up and coming to understand who we are in Christ, that we are in Christ, that he is in us, and what that union with him ultimately means. And guys, I, I will say this. I have heard it a thousand times, and I've said it myself. There must be more to this Christian life. There must be more than coming to church on Sunday and going to small group and having my quiet time. There must be more. Union with Christ is the more. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.